For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, a conversation with Maria Bamford, the unpredictable creator of Lady Dynamite and her new comedy special, Old Baby. A look at a weekend concert to help fund restoration and preservation of the San Javier mission. And the emotional toll that military deployment takes on one family stationed at Davis-Monthan. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. Maria? Talking to Maria Bamford can be unpredictable and fun. On stage and screen, she relies on an array of diverse voices that seem to come from different characters living inside her. She uses those voices to act out stories about some of life's most awkward moments. But at the same time, there is Maria's real voice, that of a woman who is open to sharing details of her ongoing issues with anxiety and depression but also her newly revitalized career and finding happiness in marriage at age 47. Her television series, Lady Dynamite, debuted last year on Netflix and received critical and popular acclaim. Now she's heading out on tour and coming to Tucson this weekend. She's also waiting for her new comedy special called Old Baby to debut next month. I talked with Maria by telephone, and for some reason we started off discussing phobias. Well, I would say that, yeah, things kind of go in waves. So <laughs> I have ones that have kind of been throughout my life, like I, I, which is, this is a very common one, I think, for women living in Western countries. I have the ongoing fear of being, quote unquote, fat, which is really dumb. Uh, it's, you know, it, it, it's ridiculous. It doesn't um, seem like it would be something that would be in danger of happening to you. It's not in danger of happening for me and and many others, and even obsessing about it is is not helpful. Uh, I think that's where the phobic part comes in, where it's like, oh, I can't go outside if this is what I am or this is my, you know, if I fear that something bad's going to happen to me. Uh, because of that, uh, either people look at me and go, oh, uh, you are not worthy. Is that something that has been accentuated by being in the public eye? No, I think, sadly, since about eight or nine years old, I think I started having those kinds of obsessed thoughts, along with other OCD thoughts, which I, I did start having a bit more stage fright, um, just the last few years. Really? I think just feeling, uh... Yeah, dread, just fearing <laughs> that, uh, of course, the thought used to be they already don't like me, and that, that just not is not true because people paid to see you, <laughs> so that's not true. You have to make up a new story. Um, okay, so you may have heard this before, that apparently, yeah. according to people who consider themselves experts on these things, the fear of public speaking is the number one fear in America. Some people um, are able to mitigate their stage fright by having a ritual or a particular good luck procedure that they like to go through? Well, I definitely need to rehearse. I really like to rehearse all the stuff, although that isn't always necessary. Sometimes I can't get myself to rehearse because uh, 
I could retire to Boise, Idaho now at this point. So there's no financial impetus for me to, <laughs> to drive me to uh, do well in my job. So now it becomes <laughs> sometimes I just don't even rehearse for shows, which is uh, fortunate. I wonder about that statistic that it's the most feared thing, public speaking, because it seems like people are so much more public now um, that there's less ability to be shy because there's so many, uh, you, know, you can make videos all the time and Snapchat and you're kind of public speaking all the time, even if it's amongst your family and friends. So I, I have a ton more social anxiety. I, I get anxious talking to strangers <laughs> when I do not know what's going to happen next. Mm. And that that's is supremely horrifying to me. And that's awkward in an interview setting because I often will keep from saying mm-hmm or gotcha, I understand or something because I don't want to get my voice on the tape. I want to save it. I want to let you do what you want to do. But then that kind of leaves you dangling out there sometimes. Oh, because I, I know there's a purpose. Like I'm supposed to <laughs> shuck and jive uh, for... Uh, for an or, NPR audience? I don't think Yes. I Oh, my God, hustle and flow. You've got to get it, you know, especially for an NPR audience. Uh, they're in their car, and they want to stay there in their driveway, uh, from what I've heard. Um, driveway moments. Yes. But, yeah, so it, I, I know there's a job to do, but when you're just chit-chatting with somebody, I'm not sure what the job is, and I like to have a job. Um, I remember my dad sent me to a Dale Carnegie course, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, and it really helped to me because it could help me focus on a job in within interaction with people. So I had to learn their name, say their name over to them, ask them about themselves, getting them to say yes, yes, yes. Um, like there were, even though I wasn't selling anything, it was just an activity that I could focus on that uh, took me outside of my anxiety. Mm-hmm. For me, it worked in high school, my my Dale Carnegie stuff, and then as soon as I got to college, no one was having it. Um, (laughs) People had had something happen over the summer where they're like, nope, uh, we are not, it's not believable anymore. Uh, That sort of (laughs) cheerful uh, enthusiasm to get to know people is not (laughs) uh, believable. I like the idea that everybody had something happen to them that summer. I guess. I mean, that's why I, I wonder. I, I think, I mean, including my myself, maybe my delivery had changed. <laughs> well, there's an old, it might be P.T. Barnum, and it might be totally made up that it was P.T. Barnum, but uh, the statement is, um, if you can get a big crowd, everybody will show up to see it, but nobody cares, <laughs> exactly. nobody cares about a little crowd. Yeah, I, I, love, I love a little crowd. I love tiny crowd. My husband and I, there's an open mic in our neighborhood at, the, at a hot dog stand, and it is just right next between a hot dog stand and a rehab center. And so uh, there's some hecklers from the rehab center usually. And then, anyways, but it's just delightful. Nobody's there as audience. It's usually just comics. And uh, it's it's so much fun. You know, I, I really enjoy the community aspect of a smaller group. You're all in it together. That does sound like a good gig for you. I mean, a good location. Do you actually like hot dogs? Oh, I love these hot dogs. They're very good. Mia's Hot Dogs, M-E-E-A-S, on Colorado. They also have veggie dogs. They also have curly fries. 
wonderful hot dogs. Maria Bamford takes the stage at the Rialto Theater this Saturday evening with special guest Jackie Cashian. Her new special, Old Baby, debuts on Netflix May 2nd. And with filming now complete, Lady Dynamite Season 2 will be broadcast later this year. History and music are combining this weekend in support of the restoration and preservation of a 220-year-old Southwestern landmark. The Arizona Repertory Singers will perform at the Mission San Javier del Bac on Sunday. We'll learn more next in an interview hosted by Tony Paniagua. Chuck Albanese, a member and past board president of the Patronato and Elliot Jones, music director of the Arizona Repertory Singers. Thank you very much for joining us. It's my pleasure and mine. All right, so Chuck, what would you like to tell us about the Patronato for those who may not have heard about this organization? The Patronato is a nonprofit foundation that was established over 30 years ago for the single purpose of preserving and literally saving Santa Vera Mission. At that point, it was deteriorating rather rapidly, and it needed a complete overhaul, both in the restoration and conservation efforts. And how do you raise money to accomplish that? You've, you, over the years, you've raised more than $10 million, $11 million. We've raised over $11 million. Uh, early in the process, we were able to contact uh, a number of foundations that funded projects such as this, such as the Gettys Foundation. But of late, those have pretty much gone away. So now our only source of fundraising are a series of concerts, both at the Christmas season and also our spring concert. And that's where Elliot Jones comes in because you'll be performing this Sunday, April 23rd. Elliot, what would you like to say about the Arizona Repertory Singers? The Arizona Repertory Singers is in its 33rd year. I just became the music director a year ago and we planned pretty far in advance. So we had three other concerts planned that begin this weekend and continue through next weekend. So we're doing some of the same music this Sunday at the San Javier Mission, and we're very excited about it. And we're excited about it not just because it's so visually stunning, and I've been following the, the progress on the restoration, it's just so exciting. But in addition to being beautiful visually, it's beautiful acoustically, particularly for a cappella music, unaccompanied music. And that's what we'll be doing on Sunday, whereas in our other concerts, we'll be doing a cappella music in addition to music accompanied by harp and by organ. So this will be a treat uh, for both the ears and the eyes. Uh, at the it mission. will be. And I think anyone who comes to our other concerts will want to come to this one in addition, because some of the music will be the same, some audience favorites from this year and last year. And will this be your first concert in this position at uh, San Javier Mission? My first time at the San Javier Mission, and I've dreamed about it for many years, being able to lead choral music there. It's very exciting for me. What's going through your mind as you get ready for these concerts? Well, just because having been to the mission as a tourist, I would not just look around, but I would sneak in a couple of hand claps and hear the echo and think just how stunning choral music would be in that space. And after uh, having been part of the Patronato for over 10 years and attended probably all of the six concerts every year, the Christmas concerts, I can say that both myself and those that attend those concerts always wind up with goosebumps.
Is there a perception out there that Sinai Remission is getting lots of funds from different sources? And I, we were talking ahead of this interview, and that's not necessarily the case. We only wish. <laughs> uh, we receive absolutely no funding uh, from any government agent, despite the fact that we are listed on the National Register as a, la a national landmark. We receive no direct funds from the diocese, despite the fact that it is an actual performing, practicing uh, parish. Um, parish activities take place and are supported by the diocese for that purpose. But basically, we are supporting all the conservation and restoration work. And Elliot, how many people are going to be performing? If I were to go over there on Sunday, how many people can I expect to see doing their thing? We have 45 singers currently. And what about the music? It's going to span an astonishing number of centuries. In fact, I've programmed it so one piece composed in the early 1400s will be followed immediately by a piece composed in just the past few years. And uh, we have a sample here. What would you like to say about this uh, particular piece? Well, one thing I like to do is to pair very old music with very new music. So in one case, you'll hear a piece by Thomas Tallis from the 1500s immediately followed by a piece by James Macmillan, composed within the past 10 years. It's called O Radiant Dawn. I see O Radiant Dawn as kind of a tribute, a reflection of the piece by Thomas Tallis. There are similarities that can't be just coincidental. As far as I know, James McMillan has not said so, but I hear the similarities, so that's why I like to pair those two pieces together. I would imagine it's not a free concert and there are limits to how many people will be able to join you. Can you tell us a little bit about that, please? For all of the information, one should go to the website, uh, Patronato Sanavir. The website will tell you the cost for the tickets. The performances are at 5.30 and 7.30. And they'll tell you much more both about the concert and also about Patronato. That's the best source of information. Okay, Chuck Albanese and Elliot Jones, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Tony. Thank you very much, Tony. The concert at Mission San Javier del Bac is this Sunday, April 23rd at 5.30 p.m. The proceeds will help benefit the ongoing restoration of the mission. On any given day, U.S. military forces may be deployed on missions around the world, missions that put many of them in harm's way. For service members with families, the mission at home comes with its own sacrifices and uncertainty. Next, Mitchell Riley spends time with one Tucson family stationed at Davis-Monthan Air Force Base, preparing for deployment. It's a cool winter day in late December as a setting sun falls on the Zurich family home at Davis-Monthan Air Force Base. Tonight, they make cookies. Tech Sergeant Jonathan Zurich is an avionics specialist with the 355th Fighter Wing. 
He, his wife Nicole, and their five children gather in the kitchen to carry on this family tradition. I love being a mom, it's the best job ever. He took on a woman with three kids, so he went into an instant family and had three older kids who from day one just had to call him daddy. And he's been daddy ever since. McKenna is our oldest. She's 16. She is a junior, about to be a senior. She wants to be a band leader and a teacher. And we have Kaylee and Jason. They are 13-year-old twins, and but nothing alike, absolutely nothing. We have a five-year-old, Matthew. Uh, he loves airplanes, so obviously mm -hmm. living on the base is just a thrill for him. Wonder where he got that from. <laughs> <laughs> that would be me. And uh, our youngest, Daniel, he's two. Um, so he's our special son. He suffers from something called mitochondrial disease. About a year old, he started having seizures, and they diagnosed him with epilepsy. Um, and running some tests, they also found out that he cannot swallow without it going into his lungs. He was aspirating. It is, it is terminal, but every child is different. Uh, he's up and walking now. That's something that they told us he probably wouldn't ever do. We just take great joy in the fact that he is able to do what he does now, and we take it day by day. All of our kids are a blessing, and we're very thankful to have them in our lives. Every day is special. It's a gift. On this day, family time is most important, as Jonathan has received orders for an overseas deployment. It just kind of creeped up on us and it's here. And so saying goodbye will be very difficult and having to explain to our younger ones that daddy is not coming home that night and the next night will be very difficult. And I will likely end up with one or all of them in my bed at least every night <laughs> at some point. We're gonna need a bigger bed apparently. I know. <laughs> but... Doc, if you wanna take them out to 965 or 654, you can do that. As part of his ongoing role, Tech Sergeant Zurich works the night shift. This is the A-10 flight line at DM. Zurich and his fellow airmen work round the clock to keep these planes ready for the pilots who fly them and the mission ahead. The Dragons have an extra forward section for a pod. He's currently serving as an expediter with the 355th Aircraft Maintenance Squadron, work he will continue during deployment. I am good with turnover whenever you are. We just use a logbook to keep track of the status of the jets and pass on uh, what work is actively being done. Right. So they're going to pull it in the bay, and then we're going to throw a Tiger team on it. It's okay. going to be Gino on days, Harry on nights. This happens between each shift in order to ensure the continuity. Yeah, three FMC pods. My job simply consists of divvying out the tasks for the night. and ensuring that the technicians have everything that they need. Super 6. Go ahead. Raj, show 168 spot is up. Good to go for configs. Guys are moving on to palletizing those. At this point, looking at the calendar is the hardest part. Um, a couple short weeks, I'll be heading out the door. Copy, thanks. We're just like any average family, average struggles, but I think as a spouse, it's hard 
especially when you hear some of the negative things that people feel about the military, they're just answering the call that was laid in front of them. These are people that are no different than them. You know, we struggle like they do. We laugh like they do. We also have like 40 homework. We don't ship our husbands off to work going, all right, go get them. You know, it's, it's more of a, you know, you keep us safe. The family support is very, very vital to military members, whether male or female, going out there and doing our job and making sure the mission can happen. Simple things like a family meal, decorating a Christmas tree, or a father's hug are cherished moments, especially when time is short. The Zurich children are also watching the calendar, anticipating his departure. 16-year-old McKenna is the oldest. When we're together, it's awesome. When we are, like, we, we do family nights all the time. A lot of time we watch movies, because that's, like, our favorite thing to do. So it's going to be hard without him, like, them being gone for so long. And I like that my dad's serving his, his country, but in reality, it's, it's pretty difficult. Even if we personally aren't in the military, it's still hard being in the family. Kaylee is 13. I'm scared. I know he's very scared, but just because now that I'm older, I can actually understand it more than when I was little. But just like when they were talking to us about it and they said that he might not come back, it's just like, that's all that goes through my head. And I just told him not to go. All of our kids were born in the spring, uh, with the exception of Daniel. All of their birthdays are in April. So I'll be missing their birthdays while I'm gone, as well as Mother's Day in May. And our anniversary. Our anniversary. Your birthday. So those are some of the things that definitely add to the, the struggle. But at the same time, uh, the freedom that we enjoy in this country is very much worth the sacrifice. The day for deployment nears as select airmen, crew, and contractors enter this facility at Davis Monthan Air Force Base. It's known as the Horseshoe. Yes, that's the big checklist. Yes, sir, the one with all those signatures that you're running around for. Tech Sergeant Zurich and his fellow service members are here to begin the process of deployment to Turkey in support of a combined joint task force named Operation Inherent Resolve a multinational effort designed to weaken and destroy ISIS. Everyone, listen up. Once you get your bags, port over here to do the inventory. Uh, the gas mask and then the cardboard box. As you can see, a lot of people going out, uh, what we do here in mobility. People who are deploying, they will come to us. We'll give them their gear. All right. So you should be all set. And then uh, sleeping bag, canteen, web belt, their gas mask, which is an important thing for their deployment. Our joint service first aid kit, ammo pouches, M4, M16, Jalis coats, so the suits that they'll wear if there was ever a chemical attack, coat and trousers. And the list goes on. After inspecting their gear and supplies, they continue processing. Oh, I still got to see it. Oh, you got to see it. Oh, okay. I thought you said then you're good. Captain Phil Holstein is a chaplain at DM, one of seven who provides spiritual care to airmen and their families. They get 
briefed on what to expect uh, both here and downrange, and then they also fill out any paperwork, and if there are any other medical things that they need, like immunizations, they can get those here as well. They can also pick up a copy of the Quran, the Torah, or the Bible. If people do want to have more of a conversation, uh, you know, we're here for that. We try to cheer people up and crack a few jokes and stuff like that just to, to raise morale. Yeah, that's what I'm going yep. with, sir. Yep. Absolutely, yep. Typically, everything breaks when one of the spouses is deployed. So, you know, the washer, the dryer, the fridge, whatever it is. So it's, it's just the difficulties of being separate, especially if you have small kids. They take it the hardest, I think. At least for me, that was the way it was. Just not seeing dad for six months or a year can be difficult. We can make war as modern and efficient and safe as possible, but that's not going to stop the, the difficulties of being separate from families. You are good to go, sir, right? You know, we put the uniform on to serve, not to sit behind a desk, and yet that's where you have the greatest sacrifice as well. You want to help take Daniel's hand? Several weeks pass and the day is here. Airmen and their families arrive to say their goodbyes. Jonathan Zurich and his family are here too. Grant. Hanson. Jones. Lopez. In some ways, it's easier for the member that goes away, at least those in a family, simply because the everyday to day tasks, you don't have to worry about them. I go to work and I fix airplanes and make sure the mission happens. All right, that's everybody. And in all reality, Nicole will have the harder position of the two. If you have not put your bags on the loader, please do so immediately. They are about to leave, all right? That's all I got right now. I know, but you need to say goodbye to Daddy. You want to make sure that you don't leave things unsaid. You know, you want to make sure that he knows that he's supported and loved and the kids get to say that they love him. It's okay. Look at her. When we're together outside in the community and he's in uniform and he's thanked for his service, it's always an immense amount of pride and you can see that he feels it. And it's wonderful to know that there are people that do rally around and support our troops. 1600 to load. Us back at home, all we can really do is pray for them and love them and support them through it. So you guys have a little bit of time. Uh, don't venture out too far. If you got some last minute stuff you need to take care of, take care of it. For Arizona Spotlight, I'm Mitchell Riley. That story was produced for Arizona Illustrated on PBS6. You can see the video at azpm.org. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. You can also find our podcasts on iTunes. This show originates from the AZPM Radio Studios. The music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. Additional production this week by Nate Huffman. Our executive producer is Peter Michaels. I'm producer and host Mark McLemore. Mm -hmm.